Hello, everyone. This is Michael Fanning, your host of Ask a Coach, the Windermere podcast. In this podcast, we'll tackle some of your toughest real estate questions. Each episode will provide you with detailed answers and proven solutions to some of the biggest challenges facing realtors today. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Fanning with Ask a Windermere Coach, and this is our podcast where we talk and provide answers on some biggest challenges that we face today as real estate agents in our marketplace. And I'm so excited today because I have Diane Terry with me. Diane, how are you? I'm great, Michael. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today's going to be a fun topic, but for our listeners real quickly, just to know uh, who's on our podcast today, Diane, she has been in the real estate business for 30 years. She is the committee chair. She's been the committee chair for three years for a topic we're going to talk about today through Windermere, which we call standards of practice. And um, just to kind of set the stage for everybody listening, I think that in this business, you know, this is some one of the biggest decisions a client's going to make typically in their life in buying or selling a home. And uh, this is a professional industry and we want to, we want to show up as professionals, but I think that doing the right thing, uh, coming from a place of abundance, coming from a place of place of ethics, if you will, um, and the challenge, and Diane, you can talk about this, but we call ourselves all independent contractors. So, you know, there's not really mandates, there's guidelines, I think. And, uh, so Windermere's decided, Hey, let's, let's do something where we collectively get some guardrails on how we decide to interact with each other on how we decide to represent our clients and how we decide to provide the highest level of service with the most amount of ethics. And so tell me, uh, in your opinion, or in your, you know, given us a, a, an understanding of what is standards of practice in your mind? Well, standards of practice is a place where we discuss situations that come up in the real marketplace, boots on the ground, and like you say, form guardrails for what we think is best practice. So we always look at situations and we consider um what is the most respectful way to move forward to give the client clarity? And, uh, you know, it's, it's about taking personal responsibility. We are all independent contractors, which makes it difficult for people to manage us. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, but I think that collectively as Windermere agents, we have the understanding that um, having the Windermere brand behind us uh, comes with a responsibility and, you know, sometimes it takes uh, strength, courage, personal responsibility to make the right choices uh, in our day-to-day uh, operations out in the field. I, I totally agree. And so uh, one of the things I'd ask is, so what, what is, and I know we were going to discuss it, what is standards of practice not? What is, I mean, it, it doesn't, what is it not? Yeah, we, so, you know, everybody thinks that standards of practice, oh, you, you know, you guys are the rule makers or you, you, you know, and it's none of that. Like we have, we have no teeth. <laughs> I right. always say like, we don't make laws. We don't make rules. We don't make man mandates rather every month we come together once a month uh, and we talk about you know what's going on in the marketplace that has got gotten spiraled out of control that needs to be brought back uh, within those guidelines and so 
What we do as a committee is we talk the issue through, our notes go back to the managers and owners, and it's really the manager owners that are the gatekeepers of the culture of this company, and it's up to them to enforce or to, uh, you know, come up with best practices, but we, we help them in that regard, but we are definitely not the rule makers. Uh, we set the framework and the expectations and the guidelines, and it's really up to the manager owners to take it from there. I would agree. And I always say, you know, uh, we do better when we know more. Yes. And um, I know that uh, from my position here at services, and I, and I can see when the committee meets, and I will say this, one of the unfortunate parts is, I don't know if all of our offices actually have a standards of practice committee chair, right? Somebody who, who comes to the meetings and then takes that information back because, you know, when, when I know when all of you, and I've sat in a few times, you're taking scenarios that are happening right now in our industry and saying, hey, this is, this is causing some conflict. This is causing some unethics, uh, unethical, uh, you know, things happening mm -hmm. that's impacting either our company, our industry, or our clients. And then you're sharing, you're coming up with solutions. And then those solutions, the only way they go back to the offices, if somebody's there to take that back, right? Right. And, you know, it's funny, there have been some silver linings to, to the pandemic, believe it or not. But one of them for me is that when COVID shut the city down, um, the owners, at least in the city, decided that they need to, needed to meet via Zoom. And as much as, you know, we all complain about Zoom, it, it is great in some aspects. And so they have a set time once a month that they meet and standards of practices, thanks to Dan Givens now, is a is an agenda item line, and it is talked about. So, what did the committee talk about this this month? Are there you know are there standards that need to be uh, talked about in the offices? And what is what are best practices? Right. So, you know, a lot of the newer agents. They, they go to ProStart and then they start the business. And from there, it's like, who, who keeps nudging them to stay within the guidelines? And not just new agents, by the way. Right, no, I know. <laughs> you know, plenty of us that have been in it for a really long time. Uh, it, it, you just need reminders. And the wonderful thing about standards of practice is that we can highlight the people that are doing it well. We have so many great agents in the city that that have great systems within their uh, business practice that they are generously sharing. And it's all about communication, whether it's you're dealing with the buyer or the seller. It's all about how you communicate with them that helps avoid the problem to begin with. And to have some sort of outline like, oh, you know, it is a seller's market, but the seller still really needs to leave the house in decent condition. It's not like, you know, you can leave it a trash heap. Right. So, so have that conversation at the time of listing. Yes, you're going to make a ton of money this year on your house. But along that, along with that comes responsibility. How are you going to leave your home for the next owner? And yeah. if those conversations don't take place in the front end, that's when you're left on the back end with a very disappointed buyer that walks into a filthy home. And, you know, what, ha I mean, what happened? This is not the Windermere way. So what kind of guidelines can we put in play? What sort of checklist should ag agents be using? And what sort of conversations should they be having with both their buyers and sellers? And we go over this month after month after month. And to me, it's exciting because 
uh, to be in that room, you are really hearing firsthand boots on the ground, what's happening, what shenanigans are happening in the marketplace. They all kind of get filtered through, right? And so for me, it's a, I think it's a very competitive advantage to be on that committee because you're hearing what's happening, how to front end the problem, how to solve the problem. So yeah, and I will say this uh, from the services standpoint, looking at this. And so when you say the city, you know, for the listeners, Diane, you're in Seattle. So our Seattle market, which has been doing standards of practice for a long time, and we have a lot of involvement. But for the listeners, maybe who are coming from uh, other parts of the Windermere footprint, here's what I would say to them. Because of Zoom, it doesn't mean just because maybe your geographical location is further apart that you still can't come together and have uh, a standards of practice meeting in a Zoom capacity and still disseminate that information back out to your offices and do that on a consistent basis because we all become better because of it. Uh, because I will also tell you that it has a huge impact with uh, the companies that are at Windermere when they're working with a Windermere agent. There's a different level of experience that goes on there. There is a different level. And, you know, Pat Grimm said it best it's ubiquitous 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 there you go <laughs> why is that so hard for me to say but really there is this this quality about a windermere agent and just the professionalism and you know um i'm obviously very proud to be a windermere agent and that is why i spend my time on the committee for sure Yep. So I want to talk about some topics, but before I do that, I want to kind of just lay this little framework for everybody that's listening. So when we teach Ninja, right, Ninja is coming from a mindset of abundance, mm -hmm. coming from a mindset of giving. And I think that a lot of times, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think a lot of times what we see, the things that bubble up in standards of practice are typically, they're created when we have people out there that are operating from a mindset of scarcity. That's right. Uh, and a mindset of fear. And when you're in a mindset of scarcity and fear, what happens is you revert inward and you say, what's in it for me? And is this the best for me? And how am I going to do this for me? As opposed to the abundance mindset that says, hey, does this make sense? Is this ethical? Is this helping everyone? Mm -hmm. And I think that if, if you would just take that level of consciousness, when something comes up and just ask yourself, you know, I always know with my kids, I say, hey, kids, is it truthful? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And if it's yeah. not, then let me ask you, you really have to ask yourself, why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Like, you know, uh, clarity and respect. Like, are you, are you conducting your business with transparency, clarity, and respect? Mm -hmm. And I know that uh, my partner, Najin, and I sit down at least once a week. And, you know, I'm a huge Covey fan. So it's always, always about sharpening the saw. In fact, she is always teasing me and asking me how many podcasts and webinars am I taking this week that we need to work <laughs> around. But I do think that, you know, every day the market changes and how you have to um, make your way in that marketplace changes. And it's important to keep looking at your systems, upgrading your systems and, and thinking, okay, how can I best serve my client? you know, uh, and come from that point of view. But yes, well, I would say that, you know, 90% of the problems that we talk about are a result of the scarcity mindset, for sure. And then the second one is uh, a lack of process and coming from a reactionary state. 
Mm-hmm. And when you don't, and like you said, when you're not running a process that's giving you the predictable results. So right. for example, you know, hey, we're going to close on your home. By the way, here's our procedure on how we operate. So the home is left in a really great shape for the buyers. And here's why that benefits you. And here's what that means. Mm-hmm. And having that conversation uh, up front, setting expectations. I think that, again, it comes from agents just saying, you know, I'm flying by the seat of my pants and yeah. here's what I did. Oh, help bail me out. Yeah, no, even after 30 years, I have a checklist for absolutely everything, you know, and we follow it to the T because it's, there are a lot of things that need to be talked about and the seller or buyer are hearing them for the first time. So it's very important to send that checklist to them and say, okay, I want you to to acknowledge that we have spoken about all these things. And if you're unclear, you can ask as many times as you want, but I want to make sure that we've covered these things. Absolutely. So let's talk about some things that come up. Uh, I would love just so so our listeners can hear, hey, these are challenges that we have and here's how we address them. So let's go through a couple topics. Give me a couple ideas of things that right now that came up in your last meeting that you had. Well, in the last couple of months, we have talked about social media do's and don'ts. You know, and I, I'll be the first to admit I'm older. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm very Facebook centric, but even on Facebook, sometimes I will see things branded with the Windermere logo and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> no, we don't, we don't do that. We don't do gangster rap and swearing and misogynistic language. I don't know, call me the old fashioned, but I don't see how that is educating the client base, Right. Right. So um, I'm kind of a stickler on that one. Um, Other things we've talked about, dual agency, which has always been a no-no for me, although technically it's legal. I think that that usually is a result of a scarcity mindset. I just don't think that you can have fiduciary duty and responsibility to two parties at the same time. Like, if somebody explained that to me, like how, how is that even possible? Right. Well, and, and to, to kind of deep dive that just a little bit. So for our listeners, so uh, when Diane says dual agency, it means that, um, you know, when we are representing, you're either representing a buyer or seller and you have fiduciary responsibility to that buyer as their agent or fiduciary responsibility to the seller. Dual agency is when you decide that you're going to represent both. And uh, so, so, so what are some, what are some things in standards of practice when that happens to say, okay, here's, here's how this would be detrimental to the client? Well, I, I think uh, to me, it's pretty obvious, but you know, it still comes up over and over and over again. So to me, if you're running a business, you should already have a system in place. Like we just brought a listing live yesterday and through HomeSnap, we got an inquiry. Well, We don't practice dual agency. So we make sure that as soon as we go live, we have a couple of agents that we tend to uh, throw business to, to make sure that they've seen the home after it goes live so that we can then forward those calls, sign calls, ad calls, whatever, get them somebody that will help them and be 100% their mindset of fiduciary duty is to them. Like we represent the seller and we're very clear about that. And we are all about getting top dollar for our seller. So, um, you know, it it cracked me up. I got a call yesterday from a non-Windermere agent who is in Hawaii and he's basking on the beach. And this particular listing happens to meet his criteria. And he's like, can you show it for, for me? 
well, yes, you know, we're happy to show our listing. We're not having open houses because of COVID, but very happy to make the time. But in the back of my head, I was like, I wouldn't do that. Like when I go on vacation, I have two or three people ready to step in to handle my business so that my people are cared for with their best interest in mind. Exactly. Right. So there's a perfect example of like, he probably didn't want to pay somebody, whatever it takes. And, and trust me, we're happy to show our listings, but is that in the buyer's best interest when showing time is getting so booked up that chances are they're only going to be able to get in there once? You probably want somebody that is going to represent them to be in there with them. Right. And here's the other thing that comes up, too, in my mind, is that that mindset of scarcity. And so specifically in the market we're in today, where we're seeing multiple offer scenarios where there's high negotiation that has to have happen. Mm-hmm. How am I going to effectively negotiate the best with my buyer when I'm also representing the seller? And here's the other thing. How do I show up with those other competing buyer's agents that are also bringing buyers to the table? And what's my reputation look like? Because I think that's also not looked at very heavily sometimes in our scenarios where, you know, this business is about successful negotiations where there's high levels of trust right, and respect. Yeah, and trust and respect. And, and you know, the just the shoulders that go relax when you're, you're like, you see what offers are coming in. And before you even look at the offer, you know that it's going to be well written because they've been trained well. They have ethics. They've proved themselves over and over. Listen, Seattle itself is a very small town. Like everybody knows everybody, you know? Yes. There's no, there's no room for uh, shenanigans, I call them. Yeah. Right. And I, and I will say this, and for the, for the possible uh, public that's listening to our podcast right now, it's in your best interest to have single representation, to have somebody who is representing you in the best possible way that they can, right? And, and so many times, you know, people look at it, well, you know, but I've got to, you know, what, but it's going to save me money. But at the end of the day, you know, if working with somebody who's, you know, not going to do the best for you, I mean, say you can save all the money in the world if you're not successful in your offer. Right. Right. It's a zero sum game. You either get the house or you don't. Yes. Yeah. So I always say that, you know, when we represent the buyers, like I always say to Najin, you know, that first call to the listing agent is like the first kiss. Like, you know, that's how you're showing up. And from there, you date until the date of the offer review. Mm -hmm. And then you you hope to uh, get across the finish line. Yes. Exactly. Well, let's talk about one other thing with leads procedure. And you brought this up. We were talking about this is about uh, listing review, uh, reviewing listings, uh, and not doing it in the in the normal hours of the day. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Talk to me about that came up in in one of your uh, yeah. So I'm on a Facebook group with uh, agents from all different kinds of companies, which is important to do as an agent to always be aware of what the competition is thinking and doing. So you know, I I belong to a networking group and then a couple of Facebook groups and, uh, you know, a Windermere agent was complaining that offers were due at 3 p.m. Okay, that doesn't leave you but two business hours, but all right, 3 p.m. And then she would, and then it wasn't until three that she said, oh, by the way, I'm, um, I'm meeting my clients at 9 p.m. and we hope to be back to everybody by midnight. Are you kidding me? Like, are right. you kidding me? That just, 
don't even get me going, Michael, because <laughs> you can see as my face is flushing, it's like, oh my goodness. So this comes back to your client doesn't know what they don't know. We are the professionals. We are the ones guiding them through the process, right? If you're meeting your client at nine o'clock, how many people are you stringing out? You have 12 offers, so 12 buyers minimally for sure, 12 agents, and between 9 and 12 p.m., if you have a question of the loan officer, are you going to be able to get a hold of them? Probably not. I don't know. Maybe you have a foreign buyer and you have an escrow question. Are you going to be able to get a hold of your escrow officer or your title officer? Most likely not. And excuse me, but all offers expire at 9 o'clock unless written otherwise. So... The seller, it's not the seller's responsibility to know all these things. The buyer, the seller's agent is supposed to be guiding them through that. So like in our practice, we normally ask for all offers between 10 and 11 o'clock in the morning. Najin puts everything on a spreadsheet and I am calling each and every lender and looking at all the evidence of funds to make sure that the numbers add up. They don't add up. Oops, what's going on here? I call and the lender tells me, yeah, they're getting gift funds from their dad. Does the buyer's agent know this? Uh, Maybe, maybe not. Oops, we have a problem, right? So there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to do things correctly. And it's not the seller's responsibility to know all these things. It's my responsibility. So 10-11, we get everything put together. And at the time of the listing paperwork, we say to them, we're going to need you to like clear your schedule at one o'clock on this day. This is the day that we are reviewing offers. And at one o'clock, we're going to Zoom with you. We're going to go through all the spreadsheet items. You're going to choose an offer. You're going to sign it. And we're going to open escrow the same day. Do you understand what we're saying here? Like, yeah, no, it's not a 15 minute call. And then you go off to the beach again. It's like, no, we're signing an offer then. You're going to make a decision. But that conversation takes time at the place of listing, not on the day of offer review. Exactly. And and in this agent's defense, she said, well, they have small kids. Well, this is one of the biggest financial items in their portfolio. Perhaps they ought to get a babysitter. Yeah. Right? right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this, this doing business at midnight is BS. Well, here, and here's what I'll tell you. It goes beyond that. It goes, and what it boils down to, in my opinion, is, is running your business like a business. You know, uh, I know that, uh, I know that if, if, you know, my dentist, you know, uh, he has hours of operations and he has hours when he's closed because he's closed because he's running his life and he's doing the things he needs to do. And I think you hear this all the time. Well, real estate's work 24 seven. No, we, we create that. We create that monster. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, people, but you don't understand it's a crazy market right now. No, we're creating the craziness. And here's why, because we don't set expectations and we don't put procedures in place. You know, one of the easiest things I tell people, I says, when you're setting up appointments with your clients, you're not saying, Hey, when does this work for you? You're saying, hey, here's when our process works. We have a couple hours that are open. Do one of these time frames work for you? Yes, right. I can do it at 11. Great, then 11 works. No, 11 doesn't work. Great, then we have tomorrow at 10. Would that work? Yes. And like you said, they don't know what they don't know. And the problem is, yeah. as soon as you don't set a procedure, mm-hmm. then you're allowing the client to run your program. 
Yeah, like I say, the tail is wagging the dog at that point. Yes. That is not good. And yeah, absolutely, Michael. Yep. And, I, and I would say, so for the agents listening today, here's, here's my ask. Get a procedure, yes. get a process, run your business like a business. And, 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 you know, and don't let the clients set the process. This is, this is like you said, it's one of the biggest decisions they're going to make in their life. It's got a lot of moving parts. We're professionals. Let's act like professionals. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times listing agents don't go the full mile of like getting escrow involved, getting title involved. Um, you know, maybe there's a divorce that's uh, in the mix, like the, that's a whole different set of uh, checklists that we need to go through. Just a, a lack of preparation when the, when the home is brought onto the market is what I'm seeing, yes. right? So, um, yeah, it would be nice. And uh, another good example is uh, this week we are bringing on two listings. And the second one, well, both of them said, oh, I really want to know who's buying my house. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you need to be concentrated on the dollar figures and yes. the terms of the offer. And to drive that home, our spreadsheet doesn't even have a space for the buyer name. It's irrelevant. And if you get too fixated on who's buying your house, you could very well be hit with a fair housing violation. Absolutely. And those violations start like at $60,000, I think. So do they know that? No. Is it your responsibility to communicate that at the time of the listing? appointment yes right. and so yes uh yeah we will be looking at offers next week but we don't want love letters and we don't want to know the buyer's name we don't really look at any of that we look at the terms of the offer only in the decision making process we have a way to prove that by the systems that we have in place to protect the seller Right. And I think uh, Simonis goes back on to, I would say, in the Wyndham world specifically, is our managers and owners. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is when that standards of practice topic comes back, it's having a discussion in your office and then also saying, here's what we believe to be, well, how we should all be operating. And if that's a challenge, then let's let's talk it. Tell me, are you seeing something that I'm not seeing? Because here's what's coming up and here's how we see this benefits our client, benefits our reputation, benefits our business. Um, and if you don't see it that way, then let's talk about it, but collectively within the office. And I think, and I, I have to tell you, I think there's offices that does this well. And I think there's some offices that aren't having these conversations at all. Yeah, I, I'll give a perfect example. There was an agent that called me that was in true distress because she was, uh, she was told by a different Windermere agent that she was acting mean and unprofessional and so forth. And so what was the topic? The topic was, uh, multiple offers agent gets the listing or gets the home and then the next day she calls and she goes I want to make sure the key box is still on because I, I want to take my buyers through so that they can really look at the house now whoa wait a minute wait a minute the contract says that you are not allowed back in until five days prior to closing right somebody did not have a conversation with their buyer at the time of tendering that offer if you want to measure for drapes, if you want to do A, B, and C, we've got to get you in there before offer review to do those things. Because once your offer is accepted, you don't get to go back in until five days prior to closing. Are right. people having this very important conversation with their buyers? I sure hope so, because that's when, you know, you get into trouble. I had a listing on Queen Anne once where it was a non-Windermere agent that got the home, lovely man, and he called the day after 
Mutual and said, hey, I want to make sure that the lockbox stays on until closing because we've got the architect and the contractor and the da-da-da, and mom and dad are flying in from Atlanta to see the house. And I'm like, stop. I said, you don't get back in until five days prior to closing. And he called me the B word, you know? And it's not because I'm a B. It's because it's the contract. It's the contract. Yeah. And I turned him back around to, I said, go talk to Precia and see what Precia says, Mm -hmm. you know? And Precia told him. (laughs) Right. Right. So know your contract, communicate, 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 like expectations, you know, buyer expectations, seller expectations, we all know by now what those are. So we should be able to be having clear communication ahead of time to avoid these kinds of like mini minefields, right? That should not be part of the Windermere customer experience, period. I agree. And there's so many uh, classes and education form classes and, and classes that some really high professional Windermere uh, instructors teach that have been doing this forever mm-hmm. that our agents can take advantage of um, where they can learn more and where owners can say, hey, I'm, we're going to send you this class or we're going to have this class brought to us. So I, I, my, my point is there's not an excuse for that stuff to be going on. Yeah. yeah. My other big hot button, if we have time, is oh, we do. Yes. Yeah, working out of area. Can we just oh, talk about yes. working was, out of area? Next on my list. Next yeah. on my list. So unless you have a second home in that destination or, you know, just moved from there a week ago, in my mind, you can't serve the client properly if you are trying to sell them something that's way out of your area. That is the time to pick up the phone, call the Windermere managers in those destinations and say, here's my client profile. Here's what they're looking for. Who in your office would be the best match for uh, my client to refer to? I'm all about referring out when it's not your expertise, right? I think that this is when we run into problems when we try to work out of area because of that scarcity mindset that you spoke about before. There's no reason for you to be working out of area. Well, we have here, offices everywhere. Well, yes, and a couple things on that. So one is that uh, as soon as you think that you're going to go represent your client the best you can and you've never been in that area, this happens a lot. You know, So we think about we have Seattle and then you look at Eastern Washington. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had conversations with, with uh, various agents in Eastern Washington said, you know, you don't even know what the water rights are, all the different things that are going on over here. And you feel that you're going to be able to come over here and represent a client, you know, so that's number one is that, you know, as soon as you do that, and by the way, geographical areas, I mean, we're not talking long, you know, we're not talking 300, 400 miles, it could be 40 miles, it could be 50 miles. Um, Like, you know, uh, I don't know, septic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, so that's a big piece. Uh, The other thing that that comes to mind is this, is that, so you're not going to represent your client the best you can. The other thing is that when we teach Ninja, one of your best returns on investment, uh, where you get the highest return for the, for the time spent is referrals. (laughs) I mean, it could refer, it is an amazing investment you can make. And the third piece about that is the relationship that it creates. Yes. Right. And, and your buyer will f- will be better cared for because that agent that you referred to will help get them settled in that new community. Do you know where the dry cleaner is or the best coffee shop or who the best pizza delivery is? Probably not. If you can't answer those three questions, that might be a good benchmark for you to say, oh, I need to find somebody that can serve my client well. Right. And uh, and with that said, you know, we have uh, 
through uh, Windermere Referrals, uh, Rebecca Espinoza. I mean, if you're even outside our area, because mm -hmm. of the leading RE relationship we have, I mean, you can refer way outside the area if you need to and find- Internationally, yeah. yeah. And yeah. here's the other thing I found, the people that we coach, that we go through coaching, that, that understand that idea of referral, we say, hey, we want you to book at least seven to eight referrals in your business every year. And on top of that, what you'll find is when you do that, they come back and they say to us, guess what? I did that referral. Guess what? I got a referral back. Because mm -hmm. that equity sensitive mindset as human beings, we have, if you help me, guess what? I'm going to be inclined to help you. Yeah. Or if you want to take business away from me, I'm going to be inclined to say, you know what? I don't want to work with you again. Yeah. One thing I always, when I have a young, uh, a younger group, I always say, if you're taking clock hours or pro start or anything of significant days, don't do it in your own city and sit with people that you already know. Yeah. I mean, it's the it's the best opportunity to network with people. So I usually do my research and I try to figure out like, where is the traffic into Seattle actually coming from? San Francisco, New York, um, sometimes Arizona. And when I go to these larger type environments, I try to seek those agents out. And, and my goal, anytime I go to one of those things is to come back with five to seven agents that I've really connected with, that I can add to my mailing list, that I can nurture a relationship with over the years. And you know what? I help them, they help me. And it's just one of the pillars of our business. You know how every every business has a few pillars. Referrals are definitely a pillar of my business and significant enough that it covers all my cost for the year. I agree. I agree. It's a great way to operate. And it also helps you build solid relationships with other like minded agents that are out there. And collectively, that raises the bar across for our industry. Mm -hmm. Right. So last couple of things just to wrap up with. So for the listeners out there, um, if we have agents that want to get more involved in standards of practice, what's your recommendation? Well, um, not all of our meetings are open, but for the ones that are, you're more than welcome to sit in. But we try to have from every office, we try to have a more seasoned agent and then a younger agent. So two reps from every office and those those can circulate. And so definitely call your manager and say, hey, how do I get to be an SOP uh, rep? And um, yeah, I, we would love to have you. And then I think most importantly, the managers and owners need to be taking the meeting minutes, which by the way, just came out today to everybody. Those need to be disseminated and need to be a line item on your agenda for your weekly meetings. That's really important. I agree. And, and I, I would say for the people who aren't familiar with this with Inside the Windermere World, uh, on our work site is there's a standards of practice link where you can actually get the standards of practice document. Yes. Right. And yeah, and there's a wonderful, wonderful video by Patrick Grimm of our Capitol Hill office. It's definitely worth listening and watching every minute of that video. I mean, I get teary every time I watch it because he just nails it. He understands what makes Windermere Windermere. And um, lastly, before we wrap, one thing I want to talk about is I'm very much encouraging this culture of catching people doing things right. Like I, you know, you see, unfortunately at standards, it's usually about people doing things wrong and what we need to do to like bring the guardrails in. But I also love every week 
catching somebody doing something really, really well, and then letting their manager know. And then I go a step further and I'll go on LinkedIn and I'll, and I'll post how wonderful they are as an agent. You I know, love and, that. Yeah, I just think that we all need to catch each other doing things well. And then what can we learn from how that person is doing that well? I think a really couple good examples are like Heather Dolan, very systematized business, great checklist, very generous with her time. Like I, I consider her a friend, but I am so blessed uh, to be her colleague. So there's one. I think last month I sent a kudos card to Stephen Garecki and Flora Fleet from Mount Baker. We didn't get the, their listing that we competed against, but I can tell you that every step of the way, they communicated with utter transparency, clarity, and respect. And boy, that just, you know, you can't get everyone, but when you're treated well, it, it makes the sting a lot less, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, you just, you just feel like there's a level of respect there. And, and I love that. And I love the, the, the random acts of kindness. I think that's critical, right? Uh, I think yes. that when that happens, and also when you, when you recognize that kindness, more of it happens. Definitely. Like when you put that out into the world, yes. it reverberates back for sure. Um, but we are so, so lucky at Windermere to have this culture of how do we do things better? And every day somebody's looking at their business and saying, how do I do this better? And that's what I love about this company. And, um, you know, it's the managers and the owners that are the gatekeepers to this culture. And we really depend on them to have strict guidelines and we know that it's tough to have those conversations with yes. people that that you know work outside of those guidelines but Windermere can't be Windermere unless those people are tamed and brought back in right well some of the coaching I do with Robin Sharma he says you know um you got this bus and this bus is going a certain direction and your bus is going to keep going in that direction depending on who you have on your bus Exactly. And it comes from having a leader and a leader sometimes has to have difficult conversations. And what I would say to this is that the conversation is, is this coming from a place of abundance or scarcity, right? Is this coming from a place of high ethics? Mm -hmm. uh, and at the end of the day, is it helping other people and bringing our brand up or pulling our brand down? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey, I want to thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you're busy. You got a lot of things going on. <laughs> And if somebody wanted to reach out to you directly, any questions for you, what's the best way for them to contact you, Diane? You know, the easiest way is just to go to dianeterry.com. That'll give you my email, my, my everything, my Facebook, my phone, all the ways to get a hold of me. But definitely do reach out if you have a question. I'm more than happy to make time for anybody. That's great. And I will put a link also to Pat Grimm's video uh, in the show notes here and also a oh, link good. so you can find out more about standards of practice. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll end this podcast like we always do. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hopefully you found it helpful. If you did, please pass it on and share it. And we always like to say, be awesome and help somebody make it a great day. And again, Diane, thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. All right. just want to thank you for listening to Ask a Coach, the Windermere podcast. If you found our content helpful, please feel free to share it. And we always end our podcast by saying, be awesome and help somebody and make it a great day.